So the next few weeks, we're going to focus on kids. This is a series on kids. We've never done a series on kids before, and we're excited about it. As I said a minute ago, one of the outcomes we hope will be that we will see that there's an opportunity for us to invest in kids. Did you know that there are Sundays quite frequently that we turn kids away because we don't have enough teachers for them? That's true. And so just let that sit in your heart just a little bit this morning. We're going to We're going to learn about kids over the next six weeks. Here's how the series is going to roll out. First, we're going to learn today that kids love to imitate, you know, they're little mimics, and we're going to learn that that means we need to be a good example for kids. Also, kids love to learn, and so we need to teach them the truth. Another thing we're going to learn in this series is that kids yearn for acceptance, so we need to introduce them to the one who can fully accept them like nobody else, Jesus, who can change their lives. And then we're going to learn that kids grow up, right? And kids grow up need mentoring relationships. They need to be in environments where they can learn how to become the next generation, leaders, adults, people that are responsible and live a good life, a life of, that pleases the Lord. And then we're going to just take a little couple extra weeks in the series. The fifth week in the series, we're going to have our Celebration of Life uh, Sunday where we baptize and, uh, and dedicate children to the Lord. And just to be reminded that as God's kids, uh, we're all in the family of God. And then the last week of the series, we're going to focus in on our Heavenly Father. So from Mother's Day to Father's Day is all about kids. Are you ready for that? Are you okay with that? A little quiet in here this morning. Some of you are tired of kids, I can tell. Okay, maybe not. All right. So we're going to talk this morning a little bit about kids love to imitate. You know, when my kids were little, I always had a little saying that went around our house, monkey see, monkey do. Ever heard that before? Monkey see, monkey do. That was a saying that came out in the 1920s, believe it or not. And it's a saying that is sort of stuck because it's true. When you see kids, they love to mimic. You know, uh, our kids, when I would... When they were young, I would be out mowing the lawn, and so we got them a little Fisher-Price, you know, lawnmower, and I would be out mowing, and sure enough, one of my kids would be out there pushing their little Fisher-Price mower around the yard. They love to mimic. They love to imitate. Now, when they get to be teenagers, they don't want to do that anymore, right? I mean, here's the real lawnmower, but no, they won't do it then. But when they're kids, they love to imitate. I remember shaving, you know, in the, in the mirror in the morning. All my girls, they, I had three girls, and all of them wanted to shave, and so we'd put a little lather on their face and, you know, get the little end of a toothbrush or something. And as I would shave in the mirror, so they would shave too. And I would always remind them, you're not going to want to do that when you get older. But anyway, that's the way it was. And when you drive a car, they'd love to just sit in the back seat in their little car seat and they would pretend like they were driving too. Or around the house, we would have a phone, of course, back in the days where the phones had cords and all of that. Do you remember that? And so they would have their little Fisher-Price phone, and so they would mimic conversations. They would be having their own little conversations, on and on and on. Kids love to mimic. A few months ago, I was doing a funeral service here, <laughs> and it was kind of an interesting thing. Um, the grandson of the deceased, he was probably about two and a half, cute little guy, and he was a little rambunctious, but, you know, he's in the family, so the son is sitting there, and the grandson is... Is they're right there in the front row, and I get up to say a few concluding remarks and kind of bring kind of the service to a close. And, and he got away from the dad, and he came up to the front of the church, and he just kind of was rolling around in the front of the church. And you could tell there was a little tension there, and the father's like trying to, you know, come back, come back to me, come back to me. And, 
and the, and the child wouldn't respond. And so finally the child just kind of laid back on the steps, folded his legs like this, and went like this. <laughs> and the dad's like, you come here now. You know, I'm, I'm watching all this as I'm talking. And the kid, this is amazing. Now, I, this is a little bit, you know, this is PG-13 right here. The, the kid actually takes his hand and he lifts it, and I think his little finger went up in the middle. <laughs> and everybody saw this. Now, now, defiance, you don't have to teach a kid defiance. That's in the heart of a child. But body language and gestures, he learned that somewhere. Where did he learn it? I remember one time our kids were sitting around the dinner table, one, our youngest at the time. She was probably about four. She just gives out this expletive. It's like, what? Actually, no, she was about six because she was in elementary school. And so someone on the play yard, because it wasn't language that we talked in our house, at least as far as I could tell anyway, (laughs) and I thought, where did that come from? The kid's copy. She didn't even know what she was saying, but she said something quite provocative. It was just really kind of an interesting thing. So today we're going to see how kids love to imitate, and we're going to see the powerful, the power of influence when it comes to our kids. And we're going to read from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. So follow along in your Bibles and just read this. And I want to encourage you to go back and read this entire chapter because it's powerful. But right here in one of the sermons that Moses gave to his people, the book of Deuteronomy is a collection of sermons that Moses gave to the people after they were at Mount Sinai, after they'd received the Ten Commandments. And he gives, there's a lot of repeat in the book of Deuteronomy. You've noticed that. And the reason for that is because Moses is going to give a lot of detail to all of the Ten Commandments. And there's some amazing things here. And right here in chapter 6, there's this beautiful passage that talks about the power of influence. And I want you to follow along in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. We're going to stop right there. The whole chapter is about transferring the life of God to the life of your kids. So that you and your kids will live a life that is pleasing unto God. It's an amazing passage of scripture. And what I see from it is really just one big idea that I'm going to kind of wax on a little bit this morning. And kind of give us a little bit of context. And in the process we'll honor moms. I'm going to share some stories about my own mom today. Uh, But this is not just about moms. It's not even just about parents. It's about the power of influence in every relationship that we have. The people that you work with, the people in your neighborhood, the people that are distant relatives, the people that come in and out of our lives, the power of influence that we have. And here's the main idea that I see in verses 4 through 9, that influence results from what is caught and taught in our most significant relationships. I'll use the word caught and taught because it's not just what we say, but the lives that we live. It's what we do. 
And in the context of the home, it starts right there. This is the context that Moses is talking about. The place where ideally there is a male father and a female mother that are raising children. Of course, this isn't always the case, but biblically this is the ideal. And many of us today come from families where we had various expressions of modeling. And, and the reality is we've all been modeled certain things. We are influencers and we are influencing the people that are around us every day. And this is a passage that highlights the positive side of influence. But the negative side of influence is there too. And every one of the things we're going to look at this morning are not neutral. They either swing to the side of, of the positive, what God wants in our lives, or they swing to the side of the negative and what God doesn't want in our lives. And we have a choice to make every single day with the way we live our lives. So we want to address today how God prescribes to his people Israel a simple but powerful inf uh, formula for influencing children. And as I said a minute ago, I want you to go back sometime today, if possible, and read this entire chapter. It's an amazing section of scripture. Now if you're a parent, there's no doubt that you felt the weighty responsibility of what it means to transfer your relationship with God to your kids. The responsibility of raising kids is huge. I remember sitting on the bed with my wife in the hospital where we had given birth to our firstborn, Katie. <laughs> and I remember thinking as we held this little body in our arms, what did we get ourselves into? <laughs> and I thought, I mean, this is such a weighty responsibility. This little life now is going to depend on me, depend on my wife for as long as we live and for as long as she's alive. And then we had another one and then another one after that. We have three children. Now they're adult children. They're, well, I say they're adult children. They're our kids, and they're adults, and they've all grown up, and they're amazing kids. They're amazing ladies. And I just think about the responsibility as a new father, how incredibly powerful it was for me. And most parents work hard to raise their children to be responsible and loving human beings. My wife and I did. We worked hard at that. Uh, we were not perfect in our home. You are not going to be perfect in your home. We made lots of mistakes, a lot of confession, a lot of sharing with our kids as they grew up in their teenage years, lots of talks, lots of things going on in their lives, lots of things that we learn from each other. But we're commanded to raise our kids in a way that encourages the torch of God's love and faithfulness to be passed on. Think of Proverbs 22.6. Read it out loud with me. I love this verse. It says, start children off on the way they should go. Is it there? Do we have it? We don't have it. All right, let me just read it for you. Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Oh, there it is. Okay. This is a great passage of Scripture. It doesn't necessarily promise that your kids are going to follow your ways, but the axiom of the Proverbs is that this is the way that life essentially should work. There should be a transference from our lives into the lives of our kids. Parents desire their kids' faith expression to be one day their own, to really have a personal relationship with living God. I love what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. And it's interesting that there's no mention of a male there. There's no mention of a father. Perhaps, perhaps Timothy was raised as a, from a single mom. Uh, it's interesting, there's 82 million moms in America, and 10 million of those moms are single moms. 
It's, it's a challenge for anyone to raise kids, let alone if you're raising your kids alone. But Timothy, he had a mother that was sincere in her faith and a grandmother that was sincere in her faith. And there was a transference of the gospel message down into Timothy's life as well. Now in my own family, my dad was a believer and my dad's dad was a believer. And my dad's dad's dad was a believer. Three generations of men who loved God and passed on the tradition of what it meant to love God and serve him and follow him. I was grateful for that. I wasn't as grateful as a kid knowing that, but as I look now in my life, I am tremendously grateful that in three generations the torch of faith was passed, not because they were perfect, not because they had it all together. This is something you have to keep in mind. Salvation comes as a gift from God alone. Salvation comes as a gift of grace. And we don't determine whom God saves. We can raise our kids, and you can see it in families where kids were raised on the umbrella of the gospel, and and not all of those children necessarily follow the gospel, follow the will of God in their lives. This happens in every most families that I've seen. There are some that simply do not follow. But where there is a following, it's a beautiful thing, and the likelihood of the following comes as the torch is being passed, as there is a sincere commitment to the living God, the God that we serve, the God that we love, and our children watch that. They see that in their lives. Now, some of us may not be parents here today, and I want to just caution again. I'm going to say this a couple times in the message. Because as we go through this series, some of you are going to think about, well, I'm not, I don't have kids, I'm not planning to have kids, or my kids are all raised, and you know, all the stuff that happened in my life, it's too late to go back and all that stuff. This is a series that is not about just having kids in your home right now. It's a series teaching us about the power and influence that we can have in all of our relationships with our kids, no matter what age they are, or even not our kids, people in our lives. We might be aunts and uncles. We might be cousins. We might have uh, kids in our neighborhood. We might have opportunities. We have opportunities everywhere around us to be influencers. And that's really what this theme is about. So let's go back and think about some of the things that are uh, powerfully influential, things that are caught and taught in our homes. And it starts in our homes oftentimes, but it can go elsewhere too. The first thing I want you to notice here in in verse 4 is that our view of God is powerfully influential. Our view of God is powerfully influential. Everyone has a view of God. Everyone. All of us here have a view of God. Some of us have a more accurate view of God than others. Some of our view of God is really been you know sort of uh, maligned because our earthly father or earthly parents have really not modeled uh, the parenting that God gives to us very well and so we've got kind of a tainted view and some of us were raised in places where we didn't hear anything about God and so our view of God might be you know not as polished as it should be but the reason why uh, we share this is because all of us have the same we're all on the same footing today is that we all have the, the access to the scriptures the bible we can pour into we can learn what it means to know god we can learn and understand who he is in our lives and the difference that he makes in our lives and so if if you work next to a person that you know it doesn't really see God as anything more than a, like a, you know, a cosmic figure or some spiritual force or that he's non-existent. Maybe your, your friend is an atheist or whatever. There's not going to be much influence there. But if you're in a home where there's context and deep relationship going on, 
every person at home is affected by the other's view of God. And as parents, if you're a single parent or your parents together, your view of God is powerfully important for your children. Uh, let's go right to the text in verse 4 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is known in the Hebrew Bible as the Shema. The word Shema there comes from the Hebrew word to listen. In fact, we're going to do a series this summer called the Shema. We're going to go through the, the, this passage actually in very great detail over a period of six weeks. We're looking at every key word in the Shema, the prayer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the prayer that God's people prayed twice a day through many generations. But I'm wanting to point out here that what follows is what, what Moses is saying in this prayer is he is saying that our God is totally unique from every other God of the polytheistic nations that were around Israel. Israel was the first nation to claim a monotheistic view of God, that God was one and that he was totally unique. The, the gods of the pagans were multiple. Polytheism is a, a picture of multiple gods. And it was such a dicey thing to be a worshiper of these many gods because you wouldn't know one day if your devotion and love for one god might set off another god and you would be at odds with that god. You were always sort of insecure as to were you worshiping the right god in the context of whether it was fertility or crops or you know the animals that you were raising or whatever. It's just a wide syncretism of views about many, many gods. And God says through Moses and to his people, he says, there is only one God. One God. And I am totally unique. You will never find anyone like me in the entire universe. And this is a beautiful thing, isn't it? That we sit here today basking in the reality that we have come by God's grace to know that there is one true God. All the other gods of the world are false. All the creations of, of men all the idols that we have created. And they're not necessarily little statues that we burn incense to. There are things that we erect and, and fall down before and give homage to. Things like work and money and power and status and relationships and all of those things. Those are all gods too. And we all have our gods until we come to know the one true God who manifests himself in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, lived on this earth, lived a perfect life, gave his life, died a brutal death, rose again from the grave so that we could have eternal life. And you know, sometimes I just have a feeling that we get kind of numb, we get kind of used to that, that same old, same old, but let's never tire of the beauty of knowing the one true God. I mean, do you ever take a walk and just look at creation and say, God, all of this that you have made, you're my God? Oh, it's amazing what God has done. And we need to raise our hearts and see that this is the beauty of who God is. A few more little technical thing there. The word God in the Hebrew language there is, is Elohim. And it's the word, it's a plural name for God. It kind of harkens back to the book of Genesis in 126 where God says, let us make man in our own image. So to say that we believe in a monotheistic God isn't to say that God doesn't manifest himself in the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And one of the beautiful doctrines of Christianity is this triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is a plurality. He's a community in himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We come to him today. We come to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So, you know, I remember thinking about this, knowing this, this mandate would be for all of us, if you're taking notes, this mandate would be to possess a biblically sound understanding of God. I mean, this would be all of our mandates today, that we would possess a biblically sound understanding of God. Moms and dads must take this mandate seriously as we, as we raise our kids. I remember my mom and dad taking, to me, taking me and my sisters to church. I can still see us going down the Alameda de las Pulgas in San Mateo. And I have this vivid memory of my mom, you know, taking her fingers and, you know, putting the cowlick down on my dad's hair as we were going to, going to church. Oh, Gene, your hair is always sticking up. You need to fix your hair. And, and they're going to, you know, and we're bantering my sisters in the back. And we're not really thinking much about it. But as I look back, as I pan back out of that picture, I can think of Sunday after Sunday where my family drove to church. My parents made sure that we as kids were in Sunday school. We were in church every week. My parents carried their Bibles into church. We sat in church, opened the Bible. I went to children's church Sunday school, sat in church with my parents as a little boy. I can remember many times being carried out because I was just being too rebellious and having my dad remind me that if I wanted to live for another week, I needed to straighten up and pay attention. My parents loved me so much. They did. They loved me. By not letting me get away with stuff, by not letting me say, I don't want to go to church. You know, they, you know, the old joke about, you know, saying I didn't want to go to church, you know, and sometimes I say, I don't want to go to church, and I'm the pastor. I, I sometimes hearken back to that day in my life. And that's, that's the reality that all of us have. We're all raised in certain situations, and maybe you have this, this memory as yourself. I'm just looking at parents right now. If you're parents of younger kids, man, get your kids to church. Stay consistent in that. I, we're in a culture where there's, you know what the statistic is? Is that we're in church about 50% of the time. That's in our culture today. And I want to just sort of push against the, the, the envelope a little bit and say, man, parents, Make sure your kids are in church. Make sure that there's a place where you're taking your kids regularly to be trained up in the Lord. And watch this. My parents, they would remind us as we came home from church, they, they talked about the sermon. They talked about it around the dinner table. There was times where there was uh, lots of discussion about things we were learning as God's people. I have this vivid memory of my mom grabbing me one day as I left for middle school and looking me in the eyes and saying to me, Larry, God sees everything you're going to do today. <laughs> and I remember thinking, how do you know? You know, like, I was, this, she said this to me on a day where I was tempted. My, my friends were saying, hey, we're going to cut six period today, and we're going to go down, and we're going to goof around, you know, and do all this kind of stuff. And I was, like, thinking as I was going out the door, yeah, I'm going to cut. I'm going to go with my friends. And my, my mom looks me in the eyes and says, God's going to see everything you do today. <laughs> Okay, you know. How do moms know this stuff? It's just crazy. My friend Peter, who lived across the street, had parents that never took him to church. They never encouraged him spiritually. When I walked into his house, there was always an aroma of cigarette smoke. Not that that's, you know, terrible, but just kind of the environment. There was a big ashtray on the kitchen table. I can still see it. Loads of cigarette butts in the tray. And then always some open containers of alcohol. Now, I didn't know at the time. I didn't really know what that was. Just kind of an odd-smelling stuff. Didn't really understand it. I remember one time my, my parents were visiting his parents. They were in the house, you know, 
as good parents kind of wanted to see, like Larry's going into Peter's house. Let's see what's going on in Peter's house. And after they were in there talking to, the, to, to Mr. and Mrs. Peter, you know, they, they said, uh, you're not going back there in that house. Peter can come over to our house anytime, but you're not going back there. <laughs> I'm thinking, why? Now I look back in my life and I know why. They were protecting me from some stuff. And Peter went on to become a drug addict in high school, uh, went out, I think he served some time in prison. Both of his parents died fairly early, one of uh, lung disease and one of uh, uh, liver disease. And that was the kind of life that he lived. And I thought, wow. Now, you know, it's easy to be kind of judgmental, but, and, and I suppose by what I'm saying here, you know, I didn't know any better, and there was a lot of stuff going on in the background, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, my parents had a desire to teach me and to keep me in a place where I heard about God and, and I became someone that would be responsible for what I knew about God. Now, at some point, I had to make a decision on my own. They would know that, and thankfully, that did come. It came as a young boy, and it came later in high school where I really kind of rededicated my life and my faith became my own. And, uh, but, but it was really seeing their life and their view of God that changed the way I lived. The, my whole upbringing was changed by that. A second thing in this passage that is a powerful influencer is not just what we believe about God, but what is the object of our affections? That's also a powerful influencer. Look at verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Verse 5. This is describing a whole life commitment to God by offering him the highest pitch of our devotion. What matters most to us? I had a friend also on my block growing up. His name was Alvin. His father was, uh, uh, loved cars, and he drove Lincoln Continentals. He had one convertible and one hardtop, and he was always polishing it, washing it, waxing it. And every time I was over at Alvin's house, his dad was kind of featuring the car, and he was always talking about his car. Always, and I thought it was the coolest car I'd ever seen. I mean, it had those doors that opened up this way, you know. Uh, you know, the back doors opened. It was just, uh, just an amazing car. And then uh, Mr. Carter down the street, he drove Cadillacs, and he had these amazing Cadillacs, and I remember just thinking about these cars. And then Mr. Neffer, who my friend Norman down the street, he had motorcycles, and he had the coolest motorcycles on the planet. He had dirt bikes and street bikes. He rode his motorcycle. And I was thinking, man, these dads are amazing. Look at these cars. Look at this stuff that they've got. My dad, he drove a 1958 VW Bug, okay? Now, back then, not so great. In fact, my mom drove a 1960 VW bus, 18-window bus. You know, I looked at it the other day on eBay. If I had that bus right now, it would be worth about $70,000, I think. We sold it for $2,500, I think, when I was in high school. Okay, that's another sad story. But anyway. <laughs> but I was just a thing. You know, I wish my dad were cool. Look at, the, look at the cars these guys' dads have. My dad drives a VW bug, you know. And then I thought, to, I thought about it later. My dad didn't really care about cars. My dad didn't really care about stuff. We had stuff. But it wasn't the stuff that he cared about. I remember the first time when I got my license driving that little VW Bug. That was my car. And just shortly after I started driving that car, I wrapped it around a telephone pole by accident. <laughs> and I remember calling. They were on vacation. Hey, son, how's it going? Well, Dad, I wrecked the car. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I'm Okay. What's the damage? Well, I think I totaled it. No problem. It's insured. That was my dad. My friends' dads would have maybe killed their sons 
metaphorically? Had they done something to the car? You know, there's just stuff that we hold on to in our lives. I'm grateful for parents that had it right, the affection of their lives. At an early age, my dad would wake me up on Saturdays and take me to the church that we went to to serve as a volunteer, to do a work day around the church. And I never really liked those days very much. Saturdays were a day to sleep in, but my dad would get me up and we'd go down and we'd chip paint off the walls and we would clean things, heavy cleaning. My dad just always helped people. And then I remember people on our block, my dad would help widows that needed home repair. And, and I can remember one woman standing in the doorway saying, oh, Arnold, how am I ever going to, you know, th- I, let me get my, page, my check. And he, my dad would just say, ah, forget it. I just want to help. I'm, this is my dad. He was just a helper. He was a guy that helped people. And I watched that. And it was because of his affection was in the right place. His affections for God. I saw that in my mom too. My mom loved baking. She made cookies and bread and would take him out to neighbors, new neighbors that move in, someone who's sick. She'd bring a meal. Praying for you. Praying for you, Carolyn. Praying for you, Patsy. Some a man next door had ALS and they went over week after week and brought meals and spent time. And I didn't know at the time as a young kid that they would be praying for him. My parents had an affection for God. They loved God with their heart, soul, strength, and mind. So here's, if you're going to leverage this in our own lives, make, make a whole life commitment to loving God. A whole life commitment to loving God. I know someone who's sitting here this morning whose theme verse is this verse right here in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Make the affections of your life loving God. The key is to love God, not to just serve God. I had a friend whose parents were always at their church doing things for their church. But what really they loved was the parties they had on the weekend. And I would go and visit my friend when we were in high school. And and I knew that they were very religious people. And my friend was getting turned off to the religion of their lives because on the weekends they would just party it up and drink until everyone was drunk and And I watched that whole thing. My friend got so sick and tired of it that he started going to the church I was going to and and had the privilege of seeing him come to know Christ. And to this day, he's one of my dearest friends. He loves God with all his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He saw a difference between religion and relationship. Religion is what we give to God when we know him as a rule maker. Relationship is what we give to God when we know him as our lover, the lover of our souls. Do you know God this way? He loves you. He he doesn't care about the stuff you're doing for him as much as he loves you, your heart, your soul. He knows everything going on in your life. And even if you're a follower of Christ, even on your worst day, he loves you no less. His love is constant, a constant stream 1 John 4.10 says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. A few verses later, we love because he first loved us. Our love for God is based upon his love for us. Powerful influencers, our view of God, our affections, the greatest affections of our lives, Thirdly, what keeps our attention is powerfully influential. Look at verse 6. Moses says, These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. On your hearts. This is a picture of contemplation, meditation. One of my friend's moms growing up 
whenever I went in their house, she was always watching what I didn't know at the time were daytime soap operas. <laughs> and some of us don't even know what those are. But the, the, he, let me give you a picture of what they are on TV. There, there's soft organ music going. There's a man and a woman talking in hushed tones. And everybody just seems kind of uptight. And this woman was just glued to the TV all the time. It was crazy. Um, I didn't know how anybody could stay attentive to anything like that for any period of time. But the issue was, it held her attention. It held her focus. What holds our attention? What Moses says is these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. What should hold our attention is the commandment of Scripture. God's Word should hold our attention. And so if you're looking for a mandate from this passage, pursue a right understanding and application of God's Word. My mom frequently shared what she had learned from her time in Scripture. She memorized verses. She challenged me to memorize Scripture She had influence in my life because she had these things in her heart. She would often quote scriptures when she came into my room to wake me up to go to school. (laughs) Um, You know, she would oftentimes quote Proverbs, like the sluggard lays in his bed and turns over. (laughs) You know, one thing I hope that my kids would see when I was raising them is that I studied the Bible not to preach, but that I studied the Bible to know God. The question that all of our kids will be asking as they watch our lives is, do the things we do matter because of what we do or do they matter because of who we are? Now, our kids have had to find their own spiritual journey along the way and there have been some rough patches along the way. Once in a while, I've asked my kids the hard questions of, do you see hypocrisy in my life? Is there anything in my life that keeps you from devoting your life to Jesus Christ with all your heart. And those have been amazing conversations. They've been opportunities for my kids to speak into the things that they've seen in my life. And I would challenge you to do the same with your children, certainly at an appropriate age. If you've got elementary kids, it's probably not going to work. But as your kids get into high school and they start dealing with more of the rationality, a more rational view of life, how important that they, that they are allowed to speak into the things they see in our lives that don't seem to square up with our relationship with God. And when you give your kids permission to do that, you empower them to experience in a deeper way their own relationship with God. Another powerful influencer that I see here, well, let me just say one more word about that. You know, I, uh, Wednesday is one of my favorite days here on our campus because it starts with our men's ministry, dawn patrol in the morning, ends with a dusk patrol, men's ministry, morning, evening. And then throughout the morning, the rest of the morning, our women's ministries. And I just have to say, ladies, you know, I come up here and I'm sitting in my office. I'm here early and I go out to get a drink in the water fountain or I come down to the cafe. And this place is buzzing with women. They're, they've got their kids in their little strollers. Some of them are older children. Some of them are older women. We've got Bible studies for women of all ages. And just to see women pouring into Scripture, carrying their Bibles, learning God's Word, it's such an encouragement. I think that's, that's exactly it right there. You're getting equipped. You're learning God's Word. Women and men learning God's word. 
that your kids would see that you have a passion for the word of God, to understand it, to know it, to apply it in your life. I wanted to remember that because you women really encourage me with your passion for God and your passion for the word of God. Fourthly, the things that we like to talk about most are powerfully influential. Verse 7, look at verse 7, it says, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about them. What do we talk about in our homes? When we're families that are founded on Christ and his word, we should be talking about scripture. Certainly not all the time. Life is life and there's lots of things to talk about. But there should be moments in our families where the conversation comes around Scripture, comes around God, comes around what he's doing in our lives. And so I think about this in a practical application that we should saturate our conversation with the things we see God doing in our lives. You know, my mom used to come into my room, as I said, she would often bring scripture, she would, she would sing songs at times. I think about my mom loving the word of God. Uh, her Bible was always marked up and recently I saw her Bible again because my sister had held on to it after her passing and my daughter, Carrie, wanted to have it and so we were able to just transfer that and now Carrie has my mom's Bible and handing it over to her was a beautiful thing. All marked up, tabs and scriptures, places where she was. Once in a while when I do a funeral, I'll ask the person uh, if, if they're a family you know, of, of Christ, if a person knew Christ, I would say, could I see the person's Bible? <laughs> it's like I want some forensics around what they saw when they read Scripture. And oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes I will preach from the Bible of the person who died and sort of use that as a testament of the life that they lived and what they saw in this book, the Bible. And I got to thinking about sometimes how many of us have our Bibles. We don't want to mark them up. We want to keep them as pure as we can so we never touch them. We just sort of like keep them like a, like a monument in, in our house somewhere. And I want to encourage you to mark up your Bible. Wear it out. Underline it. Many of us have gone to just electronics in our Bibles. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a beautiful advantage to having electronics. You can find things quick. You can underline. You can categorize. I'm not putting down the electronics version, but I think, there, I, you know, I'm going to be maybe a little old school here, but there's something about pages and something about just seeing things. And, you know, in my Bible, this is a new Bible I have. I, my other Bible actually is pretty much worn out. Um, and I'm not saying that because, wow, well, look at me. It's just, frankly, I've dropped it a lot. And I've done a lot of, you know, goofy <laughs> things with it. But sometimes when I'm going through my Bible, I see, like, sweat marks. Or I see places where I labored in something. Literally. There's even some blood marks in my Bible. <laughs> I don't mean from anything spiritual or anything. But just, you know, like I cut my hand. And I was in Proverbs. And there it was, you know. And I just remember underlining. I write down things. In this Bible today, I wrote down Mother's Day 2018, right here in this text. I want to remember this day. I want you to remember this day. There's something about having pages of Scripture. Saturate your conversations with the things God's doing in your life. You know, with all my neighborhood friends growing up, I never once heard even one of their parents talk about Jesus or spiritual things. Not one growing up. And all of my friends that were in our house, they heard a lot about Jesus. They heard a lot about God. And it was never in the context of foul language or using God's name in vain. It was always in reverence and fear and beauty and love and joy. And I am the recipient of that. And I thank God for that. Give a little tribute to my parents who have long gone been with the Lord. Thank you, Mom and Dad. 
Thank you that you showed me the way. Haven't always walked the way, but you showed me the way. Lastly, reminders of God's truth are powerfully influential. Verses 8 and 9. Tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your posts. This is a picture of, of taking God's word and marking it everywhere in your life. You have places around your house where you see scripture, where you're reminded of who God is. Here's the mandate. Intentionally focus on God. Have a rhythm in your daily experience where you open God's word, where you take time in your day to reflect on scriptural truth. My dad went off to work very early. Uh, I, you know, very early. He probably had to be at work at 7. <laughs> but he, you know, he was long gone before I ever got up. But I remember, even into my high school years, coming into the kitchen and always seeing my dad's Bible right where he had had breakfast. And it was always open. My dad started his day in the Word of God. My mom did the same. The Word of God was central to their lives. It wasn't an add-on. Just didn't tuck their Bible as they went to church. It was an everyday reading, meditating, thinking on the ways of God. I'll never forget going into my dad's house. My mom had passed years before. I got the phone call from a neighbor who said, there's an ambulance and a police car in front of your house. <laughs> and I knew that that, oh, excuse me, there's a fire engine and a police car. And I knew that that meant that my dad had died <laughs> because you don't send a police car when there's someone who's going to the hospital. <laughs> and I remember driving across the bridge back in 2006 and thinking about going into my house and seeing my dad where he was. He was actually in the breezeway between the garage and the house. He had died suddenly of a heart attack and a neighbor walking by had seen his body. And as I walked into the kitchen and talked to the officers who were making their report, I looked over on the table. There was my dad's Bible. Open to Colossians 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My dad read that the day he died. Scripture, reminders, where is scripture in your life today, beloved? Intentionally focus on God. Well, if we're going to raise our kids, we have to realize there's power in influence. And the power of influence happens as we, as parents, get our hearts and lives into this book and this book into our hearts and lives. And this morning, if you've never come to the place of acknowledging your need for Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now because that's where it starts and that's where the most important thing can happen in your life, the exchange of your life for his, old life for new. Would you pray with me? Let's go to the Lord.